Good morning, my friends. This is Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And I'm so glad that you are here today. And God is going to bless you really good with His rich, nourishing Word. Praise God. Let's begin today in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we jump into Your Word, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would illuminate the Scriptures transforming them into our spiritual bread. Now, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you that we were never designed to live just only on physical food, but we live by your word. Now, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, my friends, today I want to talk more along the subject of vision and walking in divine supernatural guidance. Woo! Praise God. I think it's still maybe the greatest question that people have about life. Basically is this, what am I here for? What am I supposed to do? Now, even unbelievers have that question, like what's life all about? But for believers who are redeemed and saved and washed with the blood of Jesus, we also need to know God's purpose for our life. And I want to talk about that because along with that purpose comes the guidance to get to the destination that God has for us corporately as a body, but also very importantly, the the finish line of our own personal callings. Woo, praise God. So let me begin today by saying this. No human effort can ever match or even serve as a substitute for God's guidance. You know, I've had those from the younger generation ask me, um, Pastor Stephen, how did uh, how did life function before GPS? <laughs> I said, well, because I used to travel all the time in the ministry full-time with a motorhome. And like, well, how did you do that when there was no GPS? Well, you just take a big book with a big map, and we traveled around with a map uh, book that was about this big. It was actually called The Last Exit. So when you're traveling on any major highway or interstate, or excuse me, it was called The Next Exit, you would always know what the next exit was. If there was a gas station or restaurants, and then you would have another map that would be for, you know, small town streets and things like that. But yeah, that's, that's how we did it, and it wasn't easy, and we certainly got turned around uh, at times, praise God. But God's GPS is always 100% accurate, and He'll get us to where we need to go. You know, even, even with GPS, I've had it take me to wrong places. I'm sure you have too. And it says you're here, and I'm thinking, no, uh, we're definitely not here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, speaking of that, I can't help but think of the time when my wife and I, we were traveling in Germany, and we were going from uh, Berlin to Hamburg, and or actually from Hamburg to Berlin. And somebody had told us, oh, Germany is no problem for Americans. You get there, all the Germans speak English. Well, a lot of the young people uh, can speak English, but uh, you get outside of big cities and it drops off and hardly anybody speaks it. I, I don't care what people say, you actually get there. <laughs> There's not many people that can speak it. So we got on this train and uh, you know nobody could speak English, and we couldn't uh, get we couldn't get help because we didn't know what stop we're supposed to get off on. 
And so every time the train stopped and the doors opened, we were standing there, and our daughter was there with us too, our youngest one, and we were standing there ready to get off the train with all of our luggage. And uh, But there was the conductor that, uh, you know, he would walk back and forth through the whole train, but he kind of hung around close by because he could tell that we were confused, but he couldn't speak English, so he couldn't help too much, but all that he could say was when the doors opened, no, no. <laughs> and uh, so one time we came up and we could hear over the loudspeaker and it called out on our ticket what our destination was, like this certain station that would connect us to another one. And uh, it was the name. He, they called it out. We heard it and the doors opened up and we took our luggage and stepped off the train and we stepped onto like a cement platform. And this cement platform, uh, as God is my witness, was out in the middle of a cornfield that was a gigantic cornfield, maybe a thousand acres, and there was nothing else out there. There was no house in sight. <laughs> I could see a forest way off in the distance, and there was like a concrete pad with a little railing around it, and that was one of the stops. And I was looking at this vast field, and you know, there's nothing out there, and the conductor says, No, no. <laughs> And we got our luggage back on real quick, just before the doors closed, and um, the train headed out. Now, I don't know what that stop was or where that was at, but I know one thing. That was the wrong destination. Praise the Lord. So we kept on going, and of course, we finally made it. Praise God. But God, with the help of the Holy Spirit and all of these other uh, agents that He has given to us, I tell you what, we can get it right when it comes to getting to where we are supposed to go. So no human effort could ever match or even serve as a substitute for God's guidance. You're going to need the Lord's help, and that's okay. That's good. So this is why, even in Scripture, we saw this last week, that a double emphasis is given by the writer of Proverbs to repeat, really, what is actually a warning. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 14, and this is verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. You know, the thing is, is that it can seem right, and it can be totally wrong. So there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You not only got off in the middle of a cornfield, you got off somewhere and you got killed. That's a wrong direction, and that's and it could seem right. You could think, well, it's, uh, what's wrong with it? But if it's going away from what God says, then it's only going to end in ruin and disaster. Let's go now to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. You're going to get to the right destination, the fulfillment of every vision that God has given to you, uh, and primarily, primarily the overlaying vision that God has given for your life. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So its beginning may even seem illuminated initially. And you could think, yep, made the right decision. But as you go down that path, it'll start to get darker and darker. And before you know it, uh, if you don't get off of it and turn around and get back on the freeway of life, uh, you could end up in a place of ruin. And there have been those that have shipwrecked great destinies. But my friends, that's not going to be your case. You're going to get it right. So we actually see again the double warning that is given in the book of wisdom. 
Now, let's go a little bit further with the subject of vision, because I know every person listening to me, the Holy Spirit has put vision in your heart. Vision can be described as the unfolding of divine plan and purpose. Not what mom and daddy got all planned out for you. Now, mom and daddy could be picking up on something from the Lord, and they're preparing you for that, and that that's good. But sometimes, out of sheer natural determination, parents want children to go in a certain direction, and maybe it's the same direction they took. And they think, well, maybe because they went to college that you need to go to college, or because they went along this career path, you need to uh, go do the same thing. Or maybe they did not accomplish something, and so they kind of want to now live their life through you. And so because they never attained something, they're going to push you in a direction that even if it's not what you're supposed to do, they want you to go there because it's like uh, they want you to fulfill it on their behalf. And so they're trying to like live that experience through you. I see that with parents who push their kids into entertainment uh, or push them into uh, ungodly cultures and atmospheres because maybe they wanted stardom or maybe they wanted to be famous and it never happened. So they're going to take their kid and from a young age, prep them and prime them and push them into that. And if you knock on enough doors and if there is something natural there that could be worked in, you could end up there and you think, well, you made it. Yeah, you made it on the path to death. And so what, again, what many in the world celebrate as success, uh, oftentimes is success that was acquired through compromise and the devil has their soul. So no, that's not true success. So the truth is, is that you don't have to lie, cheat, swindle, stomp on people, uh, sell your soul to get to the top. God can get you to the top the right way. Praise God. Amen. And you have joy along the way. So God is not leading you downward. God's not trying to humiliate you or reduce you. God's actually, he's leading you upward and you need to see that upward trajectory. And, of course, it's outlined in Scripture in one of the classic chapters of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Of course, we love the first 14 verses. After that, that's for the rebels. So if you're living right, that doesn't apply to you. But it also is good to read it because it's a uh, good motivator to walk right with God and live in the blessing. Now, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass if... Notice it's conditional. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high, not low. You know, um, my wife and I were driving around one time in the county looking for a possible place to live. This is before we purchased the home we now have. And, you know, sometimes it's just good to get in the car and drive around and look. And we went to go look, and we saw a house uh, on the Internet that was for sale. Uh, But when we got to where the house was, we didn't like the name of the street. The street went way down and like to a gully, and it was really dark, kind of like creepy looking. And the name of the street was Preacher's Bottom. (laughs) 
I'm like, hey, this preacher ain't living in no swamp. Praise God. If some other preacher wants to live down there and have the street named after him, he can do that. But I know too much about what God says to live on preacher's bottom. Praise God. And you shouldn't be living at the bottom either, not at the bottom of the barrel or at the bottom of the swamp. Praise God. If you want to do anything, drain the swamp and rename it. Praise the Lord. Now, we see here that God will set you high. How high? Above all nations of the earth. Praise God. God wants you to have an international impact. God wants you to have an international influence. Maybe your product is selling uh, in the town that you live. But you know what? If people are buying it in the town in which you live, the other people in other towns, they're the same kind of people. And it doesn't matter what your skin color is, whether you are yellow, red, white, black, or whatever. It doesn't matter. People, in some senses, we're, we're all the same. Yes, taste can be different, and you can tweak that. But hey, if they're using it here, hey, why not put it on the internet and market it worldwide and watch what can happen with distribution connections and things like that. The next thing you know, somebody over in Europe or somewhere over in Africa really likes your stuff. And then you got to open uh, another base and then you have to open a branch office and on and on it goes. Praise God. But God wants to set you high above all nations of the earth. You know, I had a really sweet picture sent to me by a book reading club in uh, Lagos, Nigeria. And they were all gathered around this tree, all of these young people. And they were, my, my book was the book of the month and they were all reading it. And they had all, uh, and they were sitting there discussing it and talking about it. And I thought, now here I am way over here in North Carolina. I sit down and I write a book and somehow it's over on the other side of the planet and they're reading in it, talking about it. And uh, what is that? That is the Lord working through covenantal blessings to establish you like Abraham as a blessing in the earth. Look, God's taking you up. <laughs> if a vision says you're going down and you're going to be wiped out, trust me, that is a vision from the devil and that slippery, slide me, Luciferian tongue has told you a lie. God wants you to go up into the glory and take a whole bunch of people with you. Amen. Praise God. So vision is the unfolding of divine plan and purpose, and it leads upwards, not downwards. Now, the Holy Spirit will lead you to your high place. And really, uh, since it is a high place, and we also are very familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, being seated with Christ, really your high place is a, a place of enthronement. Mm, that's, how, that's how you need to see it. So it's important, along with this divine leading, to verify what I would call authentic divine leading. And then you kind of connect that up with sensitivity to the timing of the Lord, because vision is in layers. It comes in segments. God can give you the primary vision. I knew for myself years back, uh, going back 20 years, uh, starting in 2005, we really began to get involved in television. But even before that, and it was like 19, I think it was 1997, 
uh, I was on TBN, uh, and that was just kind of like getting my feet wet and things like that. I was on the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. They had a weekly show, and I was on there as one of their guests, and I was uh, the chapter president for the Irvine, California chapter. And wow, did we ever have some great meetings. And uh, my wife and I, we, uh, we saw people either get saved, healed, delivered every single week, and it was really neat. Of course, a little uh, secret, the world headquarters at that time was in Irvine. So whenever the great speakers of the world would travel to Irvine to attend the, the world headquarters, I could like pull them over to my meeting. So we had some of the most amazing world-class speakers sharing uh, incredible testimonies. These were people, men of tremendous wealth or tremendous anointing. It was a lot of fun. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So God wants to take you up, praise the Lord. And you have to get that timing right because you might see your vision, destiny in front of you, but it's going to come in segments and you have to walk it out and you have to have that sensitivity to know where you're at along that path so that you step into the right moment at the right time. You can get ahead. That can cause some problems. But you know, if you're too slow and you're uh, maybe a little too cautious, you could fall behind and that's not good either. So we do need to mix sensitivity to timing along with uh, just being able to pick up on these signals of divine leading. Praise God. You know, if you think about uh, David's son, Absalom, uh, and of course, every time you think about Absalom, you think about the hair. And uh, he was the most, he was the best looking guy in the entire nation. And so he had a problem though. He, he wanted to be king. He had an ambition. Now, ambition can be good. It's actually, it's very good. It gives you a drive to accomplish things. But scripture, particularly in the New Testament through the apostle Paul, warns against selfish ambition. And that's really what was eating up Absalom was a selfish ambition to gain the throne at any cost. And so if that meant having to kill his father, he was even willing to do that. So we want to see the vision and we want to walk it out with, how can I say, the right heart, the right attitude so that the Lord is glorified. You know, it is true that back during the 1950s healing revival that many ministers were using tents and they would put up these large tents and you had a couple of ministers that had the biggest tents, but these tents being used for these ministry meetings actually were the biggest tents in the world. They were bigger than the circus tents. And uh, so they were the giant tents. And so one preacher, uh, it eventually became known as having the largest tent in the world. And there was another preacher, I won't say his name, he was from Dallas, Texas, but he wanted his tent to be the largest one in the world. And he actually sent some of his men out to the other ministers meeting and had them measure his tent while he's conducting a meeting and come back. And they said, Hey, his tent is this size. And so the other minister said, good. Now we know what his is. Let's make ours larger so that we can claim that we have the largest tent. So you, you see a lot of selfish ambition. And in many ways, that's, that was one of the daggers that 
prematurely ended what was a very beautiful move of the Spirit of God, that great healing revival. So we do want in the things that we uh, walk in and carry out, <clears throat> excuse me, we do want excellence and beauty because we want to glorify the Lord, but we want the attention to be on the Lord. You know, we have our 14.5 acres and we're going to build a structure that will glorify the Lord, praise God. And what I do is I look for inspiration. Uh, last week, Pastor Kelly was in California visiting her mother. So I had the whole week free and I just kind of just dove in with the Lord. I was just reading books, uh, spiritual books and uh, reading the word, having a good time in prayer. I even went down to a uh, Benedictine mon monastery I know the monks there, I know the abbot, and I know uh, those that work there, and uh, I just checked myself in with the other monks. <laughs> Praise God. Pastor Stephen, what'd you do that for? Inspiration. It's one of the most beautiful places on the earth. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. The monastery, the grounds, the property. And, uh, you know, on the on the floor where all the monks are at, there's no, no, there's no ladies or anything. It's just all guys. And, uh, you know, I'm there praying. They're praying for me, praying for the ministry that God has given to me. And uh, in places like that, you can draw inspiration. There is a book, in case you are ever called to build something, that you should read. The book is called Ugly as Sin. It was written by a Catholic architect who basically was saying, what happened to all of the beautiful uh, buildings that used to be built? What happened to the beautiful cathedrals? How come we don't build like that anymore? And you see some of the newer architectural designs, and if you, if you kind of read further into it, you'll find out that a lot of the architects were atheists or agnostics or just didn't really know God. And the result were very ugly, sterile, uh, ghastly-looking buildings that were supposed to be places of worship for God's people. I think it's st uh, stunning. I really do. I think it's absolutely stunning that Prophet Kenneth Hagin said that he had a vision from Jesus. And by the way, I love Brother Hagin, one of the greatest teachers of all time in the body of Christ. And in this vision, he said Jesus was sharing different things with him. And Jesus shared with him uh, in a face-to-face -face encounter, he said, and I, I'm going to kind of, I, I don't have it in front of me, the, the direct quote, but basically Jesus said, <clears throat> I expect that when my people meet together, they have the best place in town. In other words, when the church meets, and you know, the church is not the building. The building is what houses the church or the uh, assembly, the ecclesia, God's people when we come together. But when we come together, Jesus told Brother Hagin that, that uh, his people should have the best place in town. Pastor Stephen, better than, better than the casino? Better than the hospital? Well, ask yourself this question. What else in town is more important than a church or a, or a Christian ministry? What else is more important? <laughs> the DMV building? <laughs> There's never been one DMV building that I've ever been in that was not depressing. I don't see how people can work in them. I mean, like a cold, uh, like a block brick walls with no drywall over them, and it's just... Uh, you know, like linoleum floors, no color anywhere, and you know, no joy anywhere. <laughs> How do people even work in these state buildings? Whoo, praise the Lord. Amen. But anyhow, 
What you want to do is you want to have ambition, but just don't turn it selfish. Like on our property, we're going to build something that's astounding, but I'm not building that so people can come up and say, well, Pastor Stephen, look what you did. I didn't do it. God, God did it. And it's for him. It's for him. It is for his glory. Praise God. So this is very important with vision that you, you have that drive, you have that passion, but you, it, doesn't, it doesn't get into an area of selfishness where suddenly it gets warped. No, we want to keep it beautiful and we want Jesus to be lifted up. You think about the tabernacle in the wilderness and then uh, moving on to the temple eventually that Solomon built. That was staggering. Why? Why was the temple so staggering? Because God wanted his fame known all over the world. And it was. The temple of Solomon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And out of the seven, it was hands down. Nothing else could touch it. It was off the charts, praise God. And today it can never be rebuilt because of all of the gold that was in it. I have even seen uh, studies by metallurgists that say a lot of the gold that is circulated in the earth today, uh, there is a portion of that that is gold that was initially in the uh, temple of Solomon. Of course, it gets melted down and it gets shaped into something else, maybe a ring or maybe a pot or a piece of jewelry or something like that. And then maybe it gets melted again or something like that, but it gets reprocessed. And there is a portion of that that's still uh, circulating throughout the earth today. Praise God. So we want to be guided by the Lord because with somebody like Absalom mixing perverted ambition to want to accomplish something that God had not assigned him to. You know, when he started off, it looked like, hey, this is going to work. And he took the kingship by force. And it looked like, hey, uh, we're, we're going to pull this off. But you know what? Eventually, the whole thing imploded and it collapsed and he lost his life. So every true leading of God is going to take you upward. But every leading that is not from God, it's got doom and failure already written on it. It may look like it's getting off to a good start, but it's already going in the wrong direction. So we need to trust God for his guidance, but we need to also verify these steps so that we can make sure along the journey that we are still on the right path. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. You know, when you have to verify, it means that it's not a once and a done deal. So each year there needs to be a checkup. And we see that particularly in Scripture where in one of the parables, Jesus was giving the uh, the parable of the tree, and the tree would be tended to, and, and the the master would come back every year and would say, oh, the, it's still not producing anything. And then he would come back the next year and it's still not doing anything. And eventually he said, why is this even taking up ground? It's not producing. Pull it up and get rid of it. So there is these checkups where we verify that we are still on the correct path. Now, verse 20, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good. So we want to test it doesn't mean that we don't trust. It doesn't mean that we're suspicious. It just means what? It just means that we verify. <laughs> Anybody that is not willing to allow verification, they're hiding something. It reminds me of when Elon Musk was buying Twitter and he wanted to probe deep, deeper into the real stats 
of what's going on, and suddenly Twitter's trying to hide. Why? They didn't want they didn't want uh, the purchaser or the public to know how many of these are actually bots. <laughs> They're not even people. <laughs> how many of these accounts are actually fake? They're not even real. And so uh, honesty and integrity actually invites verification. Praise God. So let me say this. Not every idea is God's idea. And not every voice, this is very important, not every voice is the voice of the good shepherd. Let's go just for a moment to John chapter 10 and look at verse 4. How many of you, by the way, have ever heard a false voice in the spirit realm? Hold up your hand. I have. I And, oh, I tell you what, the devil is a very slick talker, very smooth tongue, but he's a fake. But I, he can really put forth a very convincing voice. You must know the difference. Verse 4, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That would be the good shepherd. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Praise the Lord. So, not every voice is God's voice. What does it mean? It means we need to verify. And there are characteristics of divine guidance that bring that into the light of what's of God and what's not. Praise the Lord. And let's talk about some of that just for a few minutes. Here are a couple of um, characteristics of divine guidance. Let me just give you five of them, okay? Praise the Lord. Number one, divine guidance can be traced back to the Word of God. When I was uh, hiking through the forest a couple of years back, there was a waterfall way out in the middle of nowhere. Most people don't even know about it, and uh, I wasn't sure if even the landowner knew about it. Eventually, the land sold, and a pastor from Virginia bought it, and when I saw him one time at a restaurant, I said, hey, do you know about that waterfall on the back of your property? He said, he said, Stephen, I found that when I was out hiking. I said, did you find the headwaters? He said, uh, he wasn't sure. I said, you'll be shocked when you see it. Because I actually hiked and kept going up that uh, waterfall, wondering where's all of this water coming out? There's no stream out here. There's no certainly no river back here. Where's it coming from? Kept hiking, kept looking. And uh, after a while, I found at the, at the very top on a ridge, I found a, 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 like a, it was like a blast of water coming out of the side of a rock. And the rock was like cracked open and this water was just gushing out. <laughs> can, I, can I be honest and also tell you what that is? That's money. <laughs> That's money right there. That if, if, if somebody, because uh, that is a pure artesian spring. And uh, here's like a little backwoods secret. If you're out in the woods and you find a source of water like that, and you look down and you see two things, you see crawfish and you see salamanders, you are looking at absolute pristine, clean water. And it's not everywhere. Uh, water is a phenomenal commodity. If I were him, I would bottle that water and sell it. <laughs> Praise God, because it tasted phenomenal. And it's totally pure. You can drink it right I mean, it's shooting out. And so um, fun, neat stuff. Praise the Lord. So 
Uh, but it's it's like that with the uh, if there's water flowing, there's a headwater somewhere. So divine guidance in the same way can be traced back to the source. And the source, my friends, is the word of God. It's, it's not an unknown phenomenon. Uh, it's happened in different parts of the world, but we've had it happen in America in two uh, very primary cases where uh, in different times throughout American church history, you've had a couple of prominent ministers where they suddenly at a, and it, it was usually in the latter part of their ministry where suddenly they thought they were Elijah the prophet. Now, this has happened in other countries of the world where the church is at, where somebody would get off course and uh, confuse a bunch of people. But uh, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Why do they always want to be Elijah? I mean, it's like, how come they don't want to be Philip the evangelist? (laughs) God has told me that I am the Elijah the prophet. Uh, Well, no, that's not true. If you read the scripture, uh, Jesus said that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. So, uh, no, it's not you. It was uh, John the Baptist. And uh, you could be a forerunner in a sense of preparing God's people for the return of the Lord. But no, you're not Elijah and you're not one of the two uh, two witnesses. But a lot of times people get hung up, uh, ministers do. It's a pride thing where they think, I'm Elijah. And again, it's weird. How come you don't think you're an evangelist? I, is there something about soul winning that's not quite as mystical and uh, maybe kooky as going off the deep end with weird prophetic stuff? And I, I, I'm a prophet. And so I love the prophetic ministry. But uh, people can get over in the spiritual goofy stuff. Uh, and you certainly saw that. I won't, I won't name the other man, but one of the men was John Alexander Dowie. And he's, he thought he was Elijah, told people he was Elijah, And, uh, of course, he wasn't. Actually, he even said, I'm the messenger of the covenant. Uh, Hold on, brother. Uh, Jesus was the messenger of the covenant, not you. (laughs) But he got off track. And so you have to... uh, you have to judge everything by the Word of God. So be careful in these areas because the devil, he does no scripture, and he can quote it too, but he'll quote it out of context, or he'll misread or misstate maybe a word, and he'll do that. And if, if a person is gullible and they don't know the word, he can hoodwick them. And what is, what is really the whole purpose of him doing that? He's trying to steal something from you. Can I tell you what it is? It's your destiny. It is something in your vision that is beautiful and glorifies the Lord, and it threatens him. So he is coming to rob from you, and he's going to try to sell you a lie to do what? In order to steal from you. Mm -mm. So subject any vision, any voice that you would hear in the spirit realm, or any dream, or any message, subject it to biblical examination. Mm-mm. Praise God. Praise the Lord Jesus. Glory. So that's number one, the characteristic of divine guidance. Let's go uh, through a few more. Number two, divine guidance carries you into the peace of God. Now, what I'm about to share, please listen closely. It's going to help some of you who've been rattled by something that was maybe given to you as well-meaning uh, advice or counsel but it upsets you. Let me talk for a moment because divine guidance carries you into the peace of God. If you ever 
receive some form of guidance and then peace leaves you, then you need to re-examine the guidance. Maybe the person was sincere, but they're speaking out of their, maybe their intellect or their soul and they're speaking wrong. Maybe they're, they're actually trying to help, but it's not the counsel of God. And what happened? They shared something with you, maybe even trying to help you. And what did that do? It actually disturbed your peace. Mm -mm. What's going on? It's the voice of the stranger trying to slip in through the medium of a human to get you off course. Wow. Beware. Beware. Praise God. The voice would try to mislead you in order to rob you from that enthroning destiny that God has for you. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 48. Let's drop on down this morning to verse 18. By the way, I'm so glad you're here, hungry for God, studying his word. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let me get a drink of hot water. Praise the Lord. Little side note. Thank you for those that send me tea. I thank I'm not sure. I think I have enough tea now until Jesus comes back. (laughs) Thank you. Pastor Stephen, here's 200 more things of tea. Praise God. Let me put it over here with the other hundreds I now have. I have enough tea. God bless you now until Jesus returns. Wow. Was that that ever hit a uh, giving streak in some of God's people? Thank you for all of the tea. I'll be drinking it (laughs) every day for a long time. Praise God. I'm good to go on the tea. Thank you so much. Now, uh, Isaiah 48, verse 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like what? Like a river. So when you heed God's commandments and you go in the direction that God wants you to go in, then what happens? A river of peace is flowing internally on the inside of you. Praise God. So the Lord brings you into this realm of peace when you are walking on that plan, walking on that path. Glory, glory to God. So peace is the proof of genuine guidance. Again, in the classic Psalm 23, my grandmother's favorite psalm. Looking forward to seeing her again in heaven one day. Uh, Psalm 23 Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me beside the still waters. So for me, out of the compound names of God, the various derivatives of Jehovah, the one that I have always loved the most is Jehovah Shalom. No, I like them all. Jehovah Jireh and uh, Jehovah's uh, Canoe, And here we have the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Roe. I love them all. But, uh, you know, Gideon caught a revelation from the Lord and realized that one of the names of God is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. That would be uh, the book of Judges chapter six. And when I pray the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I, I always like to camp on that Jehovah Shalom, because if you don't have peace, life loses value very, very quickly. So for me, uh, with all of the wonderful blessings that God brings, the big one to me is peace. So I, I like to worship God a lot as 
who he is as Jehovah Shalom. Praise God. So divine guidance carries you into the peace of God. Number three, divine guidance is pleasant. Mm -mm. Isn't it nice to check into a comfortable hotel where the room is uh, clean and peaceful and uh, maybe they put some flowers in there and uh, and you could just rest and get a good meal? Isn't uh, life enjoyable when there's the aspect of pleasantness that is placed into your life? Let's look at this in the book of Proverbs chapter 3 and let's go to verse 17. It says, her ways, now her is wisdom and wisdom is being personified or being presented uh, like a person. So wisdom or her ways are ways of pleasantness. Ooh, I like that. And all her paths are peace. So when you take peace and pleasantness, look, nobody likes to be roughed up, slapped around, bossed around, have a finger in their face. <laughs> nobody likes that. You get on the wrong path and you you start going in the wrong direction, uh, it's like you run into you run into rough people, and that's not fun. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of times, God has to work through people like that to help bring almost a forced correction because they won't listen to gentle correction. And so then they have to get around uh, the crude and the rough because that's the only way they can pick it up. Uh, but if you do pick it up, you want to again, again, get back on track because when you are on track, there, there is the element of pleasantness. Her ways, the ways of wisdom are ways of pleasantness. Praise God. And we all like that. You know, God's ways are refreshing and they are tension free. That doesn't mean that we don't exert or push ourselves. And sometimes we have to really, you know, uh, maybe hustle or whatever the case might be, but there, there's not tension. Uh, we're, we're just working. And in our work, we find enjoyment and pleasure, and it's also a pleasant experience. So the plan is working and God is backing you as you are on that path of clear vision. Praise God. Characteristics of divine guidance, number four, would be the joy of the Lord. And you can be sure that the Lord is leading you when you are accompanied by joy. And you know what? When you yield to the Holy Spirit in this area, it doesn't take 20 seconds to laugh. I mean, you, there's a joy and laughter where uh, you're just happy, and it, and it pours out. It pours out, and it's just flowing out, just like sweat can come out of your pores, and it's good to release that. It's good to release joy and not have to be poked or prodded to try to get you to laugh or smile. Praise God. Amen. Have you ever seen people you want to grab them and say, brother, loosen up. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And that's what the joy will do. And uh, there is the joyful sound of God's voice. And let's jump over to Psalm 89. Take a look at that just for a moment. We are heading over now to Psalm 89. Praise the Lord. And it's the voice of God that has that, that ring of joy in it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is Psalm 89, and we're going to verse well, let's start in verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know what? 
the joyful sound. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. You know, there are aggravating sounds. I saw that one city recently banned uh, leaf blowers. Woo! I have to admit, if I were on the board of directors for the city, I would have voted, yeah, let's ban these things. I, have you ever had a neighbor turn on the leaf blower and run it for an hour straight? <laughs> You're like, stop. <laughs> no, I do admit, my wife admit, she says this about me, that I do have a hyper sensitivity to sounds. And at the same time, though, I have perfect hearing. I can, I can actually hear a watch tick. Uh, now, if it's automatic watch, uh, you don't. Well, actually, you do. You hear it. You 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 see the little dial skip on a quartz watch, but automatic. It's smoother, but you can hear it. But I can actually hear a watch on somebody's uh, wrist. All right, now I have to stop and kind of listen, but I can hear it. The Lord has given me um, exceptional hearing ability. So when I I hear like uh, repulsive sounds. Um, the other day, I heard a sound, and I like. I thought, what in the world is that? It was like slam, slam, slam over and over. I thought, what in the world is going on? And I looked out the window, and the um, the trash truck that was picking up the dumpster, well, he had, you know, it lifts up the dumpster, takes it all the way to the top, and dumps all the contents into the back of the truck, but a big piece, piece of plastic had gotten stuck and so, you know, the, the driver, he's got a camera that shows him what's going on up there. So he's looking at the camera and he can see it's stuck. So he's just slamming it over and over. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, let's just put the thing down and go up the ladder on the side of the truck, pull a piece of plastic off. But some people, that noise, they are so used to abrupt, uh, like, uh, sounds like that, that, uh, that joyful, smooth sound, they're not accustomed to it. But we are. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. What's in the joyful sound? God's voice. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So, my friends, uh, the Lord's voice brings the joyful sound. And when you can't find joy in maybe somebody's counsel or somebody's advice, I would say be careful. Again, the reason it may not have the joy element in it is because the stranger could be trying to slip in there and work through that vessel to share something with you that would pull you off course. Mm, mm, mm. Woo, very, very interesting. Now, number five, the fifth characteristic of divine guidance is supernatural favor. And who doesn't want that? Amen. Supernatural favor follows after the plan of God. You know, when we moved to Moravian Falls, we came out here, we didn't know anybody, literally. And, uh, but God told us to, God spoke to Kelly in a dream. And I knew it was the Lord when she told me what had happened in the dream. Some things confirmed it that were totally supernatural. And so we moved out here and we had been out here not that long when after having been here for uh, only a short period of time, somebody gave us a miracle piece of property. It was a Christian spirit-filled businessman. He said the Lord told him to give it to us. And we took that property and, you know, we actually thought we would uh, build, uh, build something there, but the Lord had us sell it and we sold it 
And we took all of that money and we used it to buy the uh, facility here in Moravian Falls. Praise God. But that was favor for just somebody to do that, to give us a beautiful piece of property like that. Praise the Lord. So favor also can come from all sorts of directions. And many times it doesn't have to it, it, it just won't make sense logically of why it's happening, but it's happening because you're on the right path with the Lord. Look at this in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me the Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Well, look, if he's going to rebuild Judah or the city of Jerusalem, he's going to need money. He's going to need equipment. So he's going to ask for it. And in verse 7, Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah." and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates. And also he talks about beams for the temple and for the city wall. And you ready for this one? Here's the fourth one. And for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Wow, he got everything he asked for. And remember this. He's asking the king of the nation who destroyed the temple and took so many of the Israelites off in the captivity. Is that not incredible? And so those who had enslaved them and who had uh, spoiled them and taken much of their wealth, well, the king is just going to turn right around and give a big chunk of it back to the man of God so he can go back and restore and rebuild. Now, I want to say something. I believe that God's going to give you favor with the king. Maybe you need a job. I, no, look, look, I'm talking about a, a miracle job. I'm talking about the kind of job that um, you're happy about it. And when somebody says, where do you work at? I mean, there's a joy in your heart. You can tell them where you work because it's like a dream job. But to get that, you know, God works through people. And you could, you could, you could have favor with the king. And that king could be the person over the hiring department who sees many qualified applicants, but there's favor on you, and he gives you the job, or he, he recommends you for the job, and then the king above him says, okay, yeah, if you think they're a good fit, bring them in, and you're hired, and the next thing you know, you're in. I ministered earlier this year in San Antonio, and one of the, one of the people in the meeting stood up and said, Pastor Stephen, I have followed your teachings for the last two years, and because of that, I landed my dream job. I said, Where, where'd you go to work at? He said, I got hired to go to work at SpaceX, and I'm the, I'm the department head over the entire department at SpaceX. Woo! He's dancing all over the place. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Glory, glory to God. What is that? It's supernatural favor. So I, I see that many of you are going to find yourself in front of a king. Oh, no, not wearing a crown, sitting on a throne, holding out a scepter saying, kiss the ring. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but a king may be in business or a king that has the ability to open that door for you and you'll have favor. They might even ask, are you ready for this? They might even ask you, 
what do you need? I'm going to go further. They might even ask you, how much money do you need? Woo! Woo! Praise God. I would highly recommend that you be like Nehemiah and just tell him exactly what you need. He needed four things. He, the fourth one, he even threw in, a, I need a house. I, I have to build a house. I have to have somewhere to stay. No, it is true that he hosted a lot of people in the house and he was a tremendous giver, but he did realize also, I don't want to be sleeping out underneath the stars. As scenic and pictorial as that is, I, I, I'm going to have to have a home built. So he got it all, got every single thing. I believe, I believe you're going to find yourself within the next three months standing before the king that God has placed uh, in front of you, and you're going to receive what you need. Praise God. Glory, glory, glory. Now say, I receive. I want you to remember that. Remember what I just said. You're going to see it come to pass. Praise the Lord. Now, those are five characteristics of divine guidance, but I want to close with this to bring uh, a little bit of balance so that you're real sharp in this area. I want to say that divine guidance often requires divine correction. I feel very qualified to teach on this. <laughs> because as you can imagine, I've had God correct, correct me on various things over the years. And I know that going forward, because I'm human, there most likely will be other areas where God has to step in and say, uh, Stephen, uh, you're starting to deviate in this area, or you thought I meant for you to do this, but I meant it this way. And this is something that we need to be aware of. Again, divine guidance often requires divine correction. You know, God does not only speak to direct us, but he also speaks to correct us. Please take that to heart. God not only speaks to direct us, but he also speaks to correct us. He corrects us when we misinterpret his direction or sometimes just simply misunderstanding of his plan. What is the solution? One of the main solutions is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This, by the way, is the canon of Scripture. All of these books, praise the Lord, and is all inspired, all 100% the Word of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and reproof is the giving of evidence, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, that of course also that would be the woman of God, may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it does take wisdom to enjoy picking up and walking in the direction that God has for your life, but it takes humility to receive correction from the Lord. You know, years back, I was ministering once in India, in uh, Chennai, uh, also called Madras by the old name of the city. So uh, down in South India, and I was ministering there at a television recording studio, recording programs. And I, as I was there for, you know, like two weeks recording, I couldn't help but notice the tremendous influence of Christian television in winning and discipling uh, those who had been one to the Lord. And when I just saw people calling in, 
I mean, I could see people working the phones there at the uh, Christian uh, station and people calling in saying, I want to pray. I want to receive Jesus. And then others getting uh, discipled and things like that. You know, I just said, Lord, I was so impacted. And plus, you know, I was on that network. I still am. They, my programs, which were recorded years back, they're still airing. But when I was there, I just saw the great power of Christian television. And I told the Lord with complete passion and um, like fervency in my heart, I said, Lord, I said, as soon as I get back from this trip here in India, I'm going to go out to that green grass on the open area of our field, and I'm going to build a television studio. And because I just, I just like thought, wow, this is like, these are like nets pulling fish in. This is like pulling people into the kingdom. And I know there's prayer and I know there's good ministry, but I also saw the power of the tool of Christian television being beamed down through satellite to the nations of the world and so forth. So I was determined to do it. And you know what? The Lord knew I meant it. And uh, uh, after that, I had to go and uh, record some more shows. So if I'm, I'm trying to remember when this was, was it later? I think it was the next day when I was recording after I had made that commitment. The next day I was recording and uh, I was right in the middle of a session uh, and we had started a, a new program. So it's 28 minutes and 30 seconds. I've got the uh, two cameras on me. I've got the guys in the sound booth control room. They're watching. I got my uh, my translator standing right next to me, uh, translating from English into Tamil, and we're rolling. Uh, the guys, the the uh, director said, "Action!" And so we're recording. And so I'm I, I'm teaching, and then my translator interprets, and so we have almost a half hour. While I'm doing this, the door opens on the side of the TV studio and a man walks in with a robe on and I, I see, I couldn't see his face because of the lights. Of course, then I realized, uh, no, I can't, it's not the lights. The reason I can't see his face was because it was Jesus. And so I went into a, an open vision. I was having an open vision. I could see the studio. I could see my interpreter. I could see the cameras on me. And I saw Jesus literally walk in and go and sit down. There was only one couch in there, and he went and sat down on the couch. And he watched me, listened to me, preach, teach for 28 minutes and 30 seconds. It was one of the wildest things that had ever happened. I've had rabbis in my meetings, and you think, well, I hope I don't uh, misspell or mispronounce the Hebrew or something like that. Or, you know, you have theologians, and sometimes you think, okay, make sure I cross my T's and dot my I's right stuff like that. But I mean, Jesus, Jesus is in the meeting listening to me. And so, um, and I could tell, I could, I, I could see like through the glory that somehow he was smiling and he was enjoying the message. He enjoyed the sermon. And then after we we're done, the, uh, the announcer said, cut. And I wanted, I wanted with like, I was ecstatic. I wanted to say, did you see him? But the moment he said, cut, the workers just, they start breaking everything down. They start putting cables away. Uh, the translator's walking over, doing putting his Bible away and stuff like that. And so I realized I had had a vision. I was the only one who saw him. And uh, it was powerful. And I thought, Lord, what, what, what was that about? Why did you come sit in the studio? And so um, 
uh, it was time for lunch. And so that day I had a, a double extended lunch. Normally I have like 45 minutes. Something was going on where they were uh, uploading some software, firmware. So uh, it was like an hour and a half lunch. So I was just in the word and prayer. Lord, why did you come sit in the studio? Why, why did you do that? And uh, so anyhow, my lunch is over and I go back out to start recording again. Because that's all I would do all day long, record TV shows and tried to do enough to cover a whole year. And sometimes I would do it all in one week. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's literally teach one, sit down, teach another, sit down, teach another. That's all I did all day long. And so um, anyhow, what happened is that when I came out of my lunch break, I was getting ready to go back into recording. And when I did, I grabbed my Bible, but I kind of fumbled my Bible and it like slipped out of my hand and it fell. <laughs> And when it fell, it fell open. And when it did, it fell open to a scripture and the scripture lifted up off the page. It, it looked like a hologram and it sparkled. It, it was glistening. And it said, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, don't build the TV studio on that la on, on the land there where the church is at. He said, wait until I show you the place. Now, of course, I thought he would show me the place when I got back. I didn't know it would be 13 years until God showed me the place. And that's the 14.5 acres. That is where we're going to build the new ministry headquarters, the new television studio where we beam the gospel out all over the world. But my friends, um, you, you have to be open to divine correction, or I would have come back. I would have built something out of timing. I would have built something too small. I would have built it in the wrong place, and it would have been a monument to a wrong move. <laughs> That's all it would have been. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Amen. It would have poured money into it, and it would have just, it would have not been for the right purpose. Praise God. So, because of our humanity, we will always need correction because we are susceptible to misinterpretation. We are susceptible to error. So we must keep up to date with like our GPS with God, where we are verifying the walk and we're staying on course. So while we are open to divine guidance and God's going to give it to you and plenty of it, we also have to be open to divine correction. Because look, I know some of the great ministers uh, who have gone before us in previous generations, and they've told about their mistakes. And the truth is, is we're all very human. And so we need help in this area. So if we stay humble, God will step in and he'll keep us from making a mistake. I can't help but laugh because uh, one, of the, one of the largest churches in the world today is the church that Bishop David Oyedipo has in Lagos, Nigeria. And they were going to build the church in this one place. And just before they you know, like made a commitment to do it. The Lord spoke to uh, Bishop Oyedipo and said, uh, that's the wrong place. And if you build it there, I'm not in it. I'm not in it at all. I won't be with you. I'm not in it. You can, you can build it if you want, but I'm not having anything to do with it. <laughs> it's like, oh my Lord. So anyhow, he eventually got to the right place. And would you believe the right place was in the middle of at that time, what was a jungle? 
And what was once a jungle is now not only a church that, uh, you know, hosts 400,000 members, but is really actually a modern day city. Praise the Lord. Many of the large churches of the earth today, they not only have, of course, large buildings, they have their own wastewater treatment plants. They have their own electrical power plants. Uh, they have they have everything in-house. We have a very large ministry. Those of you in North Carolina, if you've ever heard the name Billy Graham, you know, considered the greatest evangelist of all time. Well, his son has a very large presence uh, here in our county through Samaritan's Purse. And, you know, Samaritan's Purse, uh, it's such a global ministry that they, of course, hire a lot of people. And the problem, though, here in the county is that there's just not enough housing. Well, what do you do when you're a, when you're a ministry and your budget every year is close to a billion dollars? What do you do? You don't wait. You just do what you need to do. So they're building an entire subdivision over, you know, they bought several hundred acres. What do you do? You just build houses for your people. <laughs> All right. Why wait? And that's what the church is. My friends, the church uh, in past times used to be looked at and laughed at. And I, I know what that's like. I um, The first camera I ever received was given to me by a man that made his wealth with Microsoft and worked with Bill Gates. And, uh, you know, I, I preached in his home. We, I, I had Bible studies in his home. Beautiful million-dollar home with a million-dollar view. And uh, I, I said, hey, I said, how come you don't really get involved in church? I know you're saved. I know you love God. I appreciate the camera you gave me and stuff like that. I said, how come you don't get involved in the work of God? Oh, he said, Pastor Stephen, he said, you know, I'm my background is in Microsoft and in uh, software engineering and stuff like that. We do things on a big level, and seems like the church just doesn't have his act together. And when he said the church, he wasn't talking about my ministry. He was just talking about the church, like, corporately, the, the body of Christ. But I'll tell you, uh, you know, um, it's not like that. It's not like that anymore. And God's got a great destiny for you that's upward. And where many in the past used to laugh at the church, they're not laughing anymore. Why? Uh, we're flying over their head. The joke's on them. And uh, they're not laughing. We're on our way to heaven, taking a whole bunch of people with us, and we're not living at preacher's bottom while we're on the way. Mm -mm, praise God. God's bringing the church into a place where we're the head and not the tail, and we're the lender and not the borrower. God's bringing his people out of debt left and right. And God is lifting his people up to millionaire, multimillionaire. Some will even reach billionaire status. This is the hour of the church. This is the time where God is doing exploits through his people that will astound the sinners. Praise God. And they may laugh. They may scorn. They may do this or that. But I'll tell you one thing. They, they actually respect the church because... Uh, the church is moving in tremendous power and blessing. And we're about to see the miracles and the signs and wonders come forth. And, uh, you know, God is going to pour out the end time wine of the spirit and the greatest miracles are now beginning to come forth for the end time church. We haven't seen anything yet. So my friends dream big, have a big vision, but keep that vision accurate you're going to need divine guidance to walk on it. And sometimes, sometimes maybe a little correction 
to stay on it. And uh, it's very easy to lose focus. It's very easy to drift, especially if you start looking at what others are doing. You must be adamant about staying on task with what God has called you to do. Oh, praise God. Lift your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those that are watching today. I thank you that their vision means a lot to them. And Father, if they made it to the end of this message after like an hour of teaching, (laughs) it obviously does mean a lot to them. So I pray for them that you give them very clear supernatural guidance, authentic visions, uh, the hearing of your voice, and also those whispers of correction, even visions of correction if needed. And I thank you, Father, that they're going to get it done. Now, Father, I thank you that the vision always speaks at the end. At the beginning, uh, while we're excited about it, at the beginning, sometimes it can be small, and it can seem maybe insignificant, although we know it's not. But I thank you, Father, that their vision will speak at the end, and it's going to be glorious, and the impact will be greater than they've even uh what they have even understood. So, Father, help them to be faithful where they're at. Help them to keep moving forward because there are there are quite a few of them. They're about to hit quantum leaps. They're not just going to a next level. They're going to like hit like a quantum leap and go way, way ahead. Way, way ahead. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. There are some that are watching. Maybe your income has been 300000 or 400000 a year. Uh, your next level is not going to be a million. You, God's going to jump you to like $3 million or $7 million. Watch what the Lord is going to do. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Glory, glory, glory to God. Now, Father, we give you all of the praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. And we all say amen. Now, we want to take Holy Communion. And before we take communion, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I'm sure that there are some who are watching and and you don't, you need to make your peace with God. And vision is, again, it comes from the source. You can trace it back to the source. The source is God. So if your life is not tied into God, you can never know God's plan for your life. So let's pray so that you get your life right with God. And if you used to serve the Lord and you fell away, you got distracted, got tangled up in stuff, come on back and Jesus will forgive you of all of your sins. You can get back on track, get back on the straight and narrow path. Now, let's pray together. Just repeat this after me from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I fully surrender my life to you. I repent of all of my sins. Jesus, save me now. Wash me with your precious blood. Wash all of my sins away and write my name in your book of life. Jesus, step into my life today and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Woo. Praise God. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Now, let's take communion together. Grab some unleavened bread. By unleavened, I mean something that's, uh, you know, kind of like flat. Leaven was a type of sin in the Bible. But if all you have is a little cracker, a piece of bread, by all means, grab it and grab some grape juice and let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it and set it apart as being holy through this prayer. Father, we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the Lord's body. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for vision. We thank you for clarity. We thank you for correction if needed. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, that you're a good father. We thank you for your ways being pleasant. Thank you, O God. We thank you that the devil is, uh, we know that he's rough and rough handling, but oh God, you're good. You're a good father. And Father, we just thank you. We receive the Lord's body now and clarity and vision in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive together. I tell you, God's going to be talking to you. Mm -mm. Some of you are about to get some new marching orders. Praise the Lord. You're about to move out. Get ready. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, O God. We thank you for the blood all around us, a shield of protection. Glory. We thank you, Father God, for protection from sickness and disease. We thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed and we believe it. Thank you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive together. Praise the Lord. My friends, let me put the giving link up on the screen at this time. Because of your giving, we are able to broadcast to the nation of Israel three times a week. And we're broadcasting from a real television tower there uh, this is not beaming down from satellite. This is a uh, TV tower in Israel. It's in Bethlehem. And so we're blasting it out three times a week. Praise God. Thank you for helping us to do that, as well as bringing the gospel to over 200 nations of the earth through some of the great networks that we are on, such as God TV, also Golden Eagle Broadcasting. The uh, Golden Eagle Broadcasting was the vision of Dr. Oral Roberts. He always wanted a satellite television network, and uh, we are on that network. That that network alone has a potential viewing audience of over 2 billion people. It blankets the 1040 window where the density of the human population is so fast, <laughs> and also where so many don't know the Lord. Oh, glory to God. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for your support. It allows us to uh, have these great outreaches. And thank you also for praying with us and even sowing towards, you know, this new uh, ministry headquarters that we're going to build. I'm trusting God and determined that we're going to build it debt-free to the glory of God and that it will be a structure that does help us to do what we're supposed to do, but will also speak to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, Glory to the Lord. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for supporting this work, this ministry. And as always, I look forward to seeing you back next time. Have a great week. I'm praying for you. God bless you.